Welcome to Untold Physio Stories, a podcast that informs and educates by connecting you to rehab industry leaders who share their candid successes and failures in business and practice. This episode of Untold Physio Stories is sponsored by Edge Mobility System. Edge Mobility System is your online site for everything a PT, OT, DC, MT, ATC, or fitness pro would need. Get certified in blood flow restriction therapy or training online. Check out our full modern manual therapy seminars, ISTM toolkit, edge suspension trainer, portable tables, and more. Untold Physio Stories listeners can save 10% by going to edgemobsys.com. That's E-D-G-E-M-O-B-S-Y-S.com slash untold to save 10% off their first purchase. Edge Health and Tech Solutions. We do websites that work for you and give you an edge over the competition. Did you know that you have less than 10 seconds to capture someone's interest in your website before they click away? How about the fact that most people are accessing your website from their phone? Save thousands and get a fully mobile, appealing, and SEO-optimized website linked to your social media, email list, and Google My Business. All for one low price and no monthly fees. Why not keep doing what you do best in your business and allow us to handle the tech side? Let's get started. Find us at edgehealthandtech.com. Welcome back to Untold Physio Stories. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. E, with Modern Manual Therapy, Edge Mobility System, and our four-month online mentoring program, Modern Rehab Mastery. And my co-host is... Dr. Andrew Rothschild with uh, Modern Patient Education. How's it going today, Andrew? Uh, it's going well, Urson. How you doing? Great. You know, one thing I think we keep forgetting to mention is that uh, both Andrew and I are in the new PT book, Movers and Mentors. Oh, Yes. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I, I got interviewed, I think I was one of the first ones to be interviewed for that maybe, what, two years ago or something like that? Yeah, it's been, yeah, at least, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and I've been I've been paging through it and reading snippets here and there. It's a great book, available on Amazon. You can get it uh, for Kindle, which I have, and uh, you could also just get a real book. Andrew probably got the real book, right? I do actually have the real, even though most, most books I do read on Kindle, but I do actually have the real book for this one. Yeah, I was surprised and really honored that uh, we are featured among a veritable who's who of people in the PT and rehab world. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was definitely was looking at the names that were in there. I was like, wow, how'd they, uh, why'd they reach out to me? Right, why did they even <laughs> think of me? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think Andrew has finally seen an interesting case after three months of uh, cut and dry. Yeah, yeah. So what do you have for us? So I had a patient um, first came to me. He was a very avid cyclist and he actually does a lot of like um, works with a lot of youth uh, doing like outdoor adventure uh, type types of things. I think that's what he does for a living. Um, he also competes. He does competitions in, in uh, mountain biking and these kinds of things. And he's had numerous crashes and numerous injuries, you know, collarbone clavicle fractures and wrist fractures and shoulder injuries and neck injuries and all these kinds of basically anything you can get falling, you know, being thrown off a mountain bike. Um, but he was really, his main complaint was bilateral hand 
tingling, numbness. And, you know, if you, if you cycle yourself, you work with cyclists, you know, sometimes hand tingling, especially with, with riding for a while is not uncommon. Um, but certainly as people get um, more experienced with cycling and they learn to not, you know, put so much pressure through their hands, uh, that's something that becomes less and less of an issue. But this was sort of a newer onset. And again, for someone who's very experienced, it was a little bit odd. Uh, it was more sort of ulnar side on both. Again, being bilateral was also a little bit odd. Um, he also talked about some difficulty with fine motor tasks, like, you know, buttoning his shirt, um, you know, these, those, these kinds of things. And so, you know, it was a little bit, you know, one of my initial thoughts of in concerns was, are we dealing with maybe some sort of myelopathic type thing? The fact that you have bilateral symptoms, sort of the loss of, of fine motor dexterity, um, his grip strength, like his raw strength was still pretty good, but it was, you know, it's a little less than I would have expected for someone who was a sort of a you know, bigger, stronger guy. Um, he also had, you know, if you think about, you know, biking position, a lot of times it's in sort of a sustained neck extension position, uh, which can also um, anatomically narrow the, the, the cervical spine canal, um, and sometimes can, that can exacerbate symptoms with someone with a myelopathy and his symptoms were exacerbated primarily while biking, um, not so much with other types of regular activities, especially with the, the tingling getting significantly worse. Um, you know, in terms of like he had reduced sharp sensation Myotome strength was fine. It really wasn't anything, no major deficits, no, no kind of like hand wasting, anything like that. All I did a bunch, you know, tests for carpal tunnel, like carpal tunnel compression and phalans and reverse phalans. He had bilateral, and those were all negative. He had bilateral upper limb, you know, positive upper limb tension signs. Um, and they're both kind of equal. So again, is it just sort of a, is that his normal state? Is he just sort of that high neural tone kind of presentation? Um, very stiff upper thoracic spine sort of spring testing throughout his shoulders you know being able to open up the chest um neck range of motion otherwise was again sort of normal nothing nothing really limited and nothing really painful neck extension sort of sustained extension extension over pressure was uncomfortable but didn't necessarily exacerbate symptoms and he wasn't having any shooting pain or any sort of like radiculopathy type symptoms other than this sort of tingling and, um, you know, especially with after, after biking, um, for a while. Um, and so I, I, I he had come in direct access. Uh, we have 60 days of, uh, direct access referral in, in, in Virginia. And so I mentioned, I thought it was probably worthwhile for him to follow up with a neurosurgeon just in terms of maybe getting some imaging done. Um, just cause there was enough there that it was, had me, you know, it was like, I'd rather be more comfortable with getting some stuff ruled out to a certain degree. It was like, you know, meantime, obviously we're going to do some stuff, but it's like, I think that would be worth worthwhile to make an appointment and try to maybe get some, uh, see what, see what they say. Um, which actually to the point of me treating him, he never ended up doing. So he, I, he kind of was like, yeah, I kept asking him about it. He's like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta do that. And he never really, he never did. So, um, I don't know where we stand from that standpoint because I haven't seen him since Thanksgiving. But really just doing things to address his um, focus on primarily was a lot of upper back, you know, thoracic extension mobility, um, sort of neuro neurodynamic mobility. Um, he sort of had 
you know, it didn't have anything like even sort of thoracic outlet, like, you know, maybe some stiffness through the clavicle and first rib and, and pecs, a lot of high tone through there. So that's really what we really focused on was a lot of thoracic extension, rotation, mobility, you know, soft tissue work through, through the, through the pecs and upper and, 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 you know, mid lower cervical spine, first rib, all these kinds of um, things that you might suspect with someone with some like a thoracic outlet type thing, you know, give them, give them a lot of stuff work, doing some self self mobilization foam roller. Um, and he was really getting significantly better and after the, after the first couple of weeks, um, even when he had, he had reduced a lot of his biking, so he wasn't doing as much of it. Um, but when he was doing it, he said, you know, to, to the degree he was really having significantly less intense tingling, a whole lot less frequent, um, his fine motor dexterity was improving as well, um, with the buttoning things so to the point was like, yeah, it really hasn't become much, doesn't seem like it's been. Uh, much of an issue. Um, and so that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, I probably saw him four or five times maybe. And it, every week, every week was getting a little bit better. And he started kind of increasing his activity level again, um, doing, this was still sort of, you know, late, I guess early fall. So he was still out. Yeah. It was, it was still nice down here where he was doing a lot of excursions on the weekends with, with, uh, with kids and, you know, these long bike rides and even some of the, um, he, he was also still doing a little bit of competing, um, with, uh, mountain biking and thankfully hadn't, hadn't had any more accidents yet. Um, but it was, he was able to tolerate it well and it was really responding, um, better than I had anticipated given sort of the, degree he when he presented with that first visit yeah i think um many of us really assume the the worst uh or at least assume that it's not going to be a uh, an easier case when you have bilateral complaints that are equal right yeah um we we think um some sort of cord compression or a tumor or uh i've seen cases of bilateral um what seemed like carpal tunnel like complaints. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, this is way back where I was actually ruling out all the things that you eventually ruled out. I mean, cause we've been, we've been podcasting together for at least two, three years, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, this was a very pathoanatomical discussion today, right? <laughs> it was, it was by the most, the most we've had probably. Right. I was thinking, Oh, Andrew still looks at first rib and thoracic outlet. That's interesting. I do. But, yeah. But do you do it regularly or do you do it when you're stumped? Um, no, I don't. I probably don't do it regularly. I think if I, if something really seems like thoracic outlet, which again is, you know, it's not that common. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, a couple times a year and I, you know, I've done a thorough exam where it doesn't, it truly doesn't seem like a cervical radiculopathy and it starts to be sort of that in between neck, shoulder kind of thoracic outlet mechanism that makes sense. That's when I'll sort of go that route. And it probably wasn't something I even looked at the first visit. It may have been probably second or third visit where I just kind of just in the course of working on cervical spine, assessing soft tissue was like, let me see first rib and just kind of see how it, how it feels and just what it, what it, what it does in terms of even doing test retests. And that's how I base a lot of doing sort of quote unquote biomechanical treatments on like do something. Does it change anything subjective, objectively? If so, then great. Let's just go down this, go down this path a little bit knowing that what I'm doing is not necessarily changing stuff biomechanically, but it's still having an effect, a positive effect on symptoms. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play that while I can. For sure. 
And I think this is also a difficult case because um, like many of my patients, you weren't seeing them twice a week, right? You were seeing them semi-sporadically over the course of his fall season. Yeah, and sometimes it, once a week for, you know, and then, you know, with a few missed weeks here and there too. Right. And it's also not something that other than, you know, some positive neurodynamic tests and um, I think you said pinprick, it's not something that yeah. you could also immediately test, retest anyway. It's like, well, let's try this. You're stiff here. Uh, you have some restrictions here. Uh, do these things. And then because it has to be a volume thing, you know, right, I, always right. joke, I always joke with my patients. If they say, you know, it's after an hour of sitting, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have you sit here for an hour and I'm going to come back. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll, we'll see if you're better. So yeah, it, as much as we always, as we like to do the test retest, it's not always immediately applicable for something as repetitive as running or cycling. Right. And yeah. he was, and he was good about like, you know, he got a foam roller. He was doing it. He started doing it pretty regularly at home. Um, and so he was, you know, he's also an active person. So that always helped. I was just concerned that nothing was, I want to make sure nothing was going to get worse and that it didn't have any, you know, didn't devolve into more, more obvious signs. He didn't have, you know, those are the only things he really had. And that's why I would kind of thought maybe some workup would be good just to, rule out anything that I wasn't, that I couldn't really be sure of. Cause I know sometimes with, if you look at myelopathy, um, there's a, a lot of different things that can, you know, we think of the classic things like that, so that sticky foot gait and the, you know, upper and lower kind of symptoms and, and these kind of, these, you know, this vague, maybe, you know, quadrilateral tingling and clumsiness and this kind of stuff. Um, but it can also be like abnormal Romberg. You can have, you know, he, he, had, he did have negative Hoffman sign. He also had negative, um, uh, reverse, you know, inverse supinator reflex, but those, those, those don't always have to be present in people with my myelopathy. Um, yeah. so that's why I thought with his case, I'm like, I'd be more comfortable given just the weirdness of it with further workup, just to make sure that we're not missing anything that is serious. Um, uh, but the fact that he was improving over the course of several weeks was like, well, maybe, uh, I'd rather be overcautious anyway, in a situation like that. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, I guess he wasn't too he he wasn't uh, as worried about it as you were. Apparently not. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't impress. I, and I, I try to do stuff in ways I'm not trying to, you know, uh, induce fear. But maybe I should, you know. But I was like, yeah. He definitely was not like. I was like, oh yeah, like yeah. I need I need to do that. I was like, okay, clearly you're not. If, I, if you're not worried about it, I can't be more worried than you are about your own uh, situation. Yeah. What does he do for a living? No, he does. That's what he does. He he runs like these sort of outdoor adventure camp things. And, and oh, then, so oh, okay. So I, I, was un, I was unclear on that. Okay, so it's not like he's a teacher or something repetitive, no. where he's also, you know, in like a like a a position that would make similar to cycling all day that would also need to be broken up. Okay, right, right. And he does like these youth youth outdoor. Like you know, obviously, he does stuff in like I guess during the winter he does other things too. But like it's like out you know hiking and biking and rafting and all these kinds of outdoor adventure things. Yeah. The one thing I would add to, uh, and I find this makes a difference for some and not others, because I treat a fair amount of cyclists since I saw a, a local PT in the area who I didn't realize until uh, all of the referrals that came from her uh, told me that she was like basically the queen bee of cyclocross, which is like mountain biking on steroids Yeah, um, in the area. In the area. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes even if they, they are a pro or semi-pro or that's what they do for a living. They actually haven't ever bothered to get a bike fit. And I find that that helps for some people and it doesn't yeah. for some people. Yeah. We talked about that too. Cause he, but he's, you know, he's been, he's, he's pretty high level in terms of doing this and competing. So he's had all that stuff looked at, but he's like, you know, he, I didn't mention that. Cause he's like, yeah, it had been a while since maybe he had 
um, looked at some of that stuff. So another component that definitely can be valuable because sometimes just some small little little uh, changes here and there uh, can make a big difference. All right. Well, I think this actually perfectly leads into my story for the next episode. So awesome. Yeah. Where can people find you, Andrew? People can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at a Rothschild PT. And also, of course, uh, modernpatienteducation.com. Modern Rehab right. Mastery. That's right. Have a good one. And also Movers, movers and Mentors. Check and it movers out. Movers and Mentors now. That's right. Well, you can find me, uh, Dr. E, at Modern Rehab Mastery. That's our new online mentoring program. It includes modern manual therapy, modern patient education, and modern strength training. It's three months with three mentors. So one month with each mentor four weeks, tons of modules, lots of CEUs, learn at your own pace for a month, then move on. Um, so go beyond the seminar. You also get chat room um, with your mentees and mentors and live Q&As every week. Check out all my products, Edge Mobility System. We have the new Edge ISTM toolbox that includes the Edge Mobility Star and the OG Edge Mobility Tool our edge restriction system BFR cuffs. That's part of Dr. Kyle Coffey's Modern Strike Training BFR certificate. Uh, I hope to see you at a live eclectic approach course soon. That's modern manual therapy um, in US, Canada, and South America. And uh, make sure to rate Untold Physio Stories five stars on Apple Podcasts. You could also subscribe on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, you guys have an awesome day.